Welcome to Coaching Kids Curling, a podcast for youth curling coaches and program organizers. I'm Glenn Gabriel, a certified curling coach who lives in Pickering, Ontario, Canada. My mission is to give you the advice, resources, and inspiration you need to make your program better. Many curlers started when they were kids. How did they discover the sport, and why did they stick with it? This episode is part of a series called Curling as a Kid and Beyond, where we talk to current and former competitive curlers to answer those questions. In today's episode, we speak to Jill Officer. Jill Officer is a longtime competitive curler who lives in Winnipeg, Manitoba. In 2019, a TSN poll named her the greatest female second in Canadian curling history. In this interview, recorded in July 2021, we go back to her early days in the sport. We talk about how her mom got her into curling, how a chance meeting at the age of 16 led to a curling relationship that lasted more than 20 years, and we talk about what it was like for her own daughter to take up the sport. Finally, we discuss her upcoming role at the Winter Olympics in Beijing in 2022. Jill, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks, Glenn. I'm happy to be here. Well, Jill, I, I think it's fair to say that most of my listeners are familiar with you and, and your accomplishments. Uh, you're, an, you're a multiple-time Grand Slam winner, Scotty's winner, World Championship winner. And of course, you won the Olympic gold medal in Sochi in, in 2014. I wanted you to come on to this podcast uh, to talk about your curling experience, but specifically your experience as a kid or a young person. Now, obviously, this podcast is called Coaching Kids Curling. And, and one of the things I've wanted to do is talk to competitive curlers and and get their um, get their history and talk about how they developed their love of a sport uh, as 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 a kid. So um, maybe we can take those lessons and and the listeners can help foster that love in the kids they work with. Mm-hmm. I know that long long lead up, but uh, I, I want to get here's the first question, and I want to go right back to the beginning. Uh, Jill, where are you from, and and what was it like growing up there? Uh, I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and, um, you know, I had, a, I had a good childhood. Like, you know, what, my family didn't have a, a ton of money or anything. We didn't live in a big um, house or anything like that. Um, but my parents found a way to uh, just, you know, have us experience a lot of things and a lot of activities. We did a lot of camping and outdoor stuff when we were kids, and I was exposed to a lot of um, – different sports and activities like uh, gymnastics and baton twirling, (laughs) figure skating, um, obviously curling. I played a lot of soccer when I was young. Um, Yeah. And and so in my little part of Winnipeg, you know, it was great. I I rode my bike around my neighborhood and with my friends. And yeah, I just remember being outside a lot when I was a kid and just being very active. How does curling get into the equation? Was there someone who who introduced you to the sport? Yeah, mainly it was my mom. Um, my mom was the coordinator of a junior curling league at a rink about five minutes from our house. And that took place on Sunday mornings. 
my sister and brother both uh, curled as well because of my mom, you know, uh, being the coordinator. My mom curled two or three times a week herself. Uh, and so even before I curled, I was always hanging around the curling club, uh, either on Sunday mornings, watching my sister and brother, or, uh, you know, during the week before I was in school, I remember, you know, being at the, at the curling club and my mom curling. And at that time they had a daycare in the cur- in the basement of the curling club. And so I would be in the daycare, but I remember a couple of times kind of, you know, sneaking out to try to come upstairs to watch the curling. And, um, so it was mainly my mom, but my grandparents both curled, like on my mom's side, my grandparents both curled as well. Um, and my dad was actually a competitive hockey coach. So I also spent a lot of time uh, at hockey rinks as well. Um, so yeah, it was mainly my mom that, that got me into it. And I also had a gym teacher when I was in elementary school who was very active in curling. And he also did, um, you know, jam pail curling out in the in the backfield at my elementary school, but I had already been significantly exposed to curling by that point. So, and been on like the actual curling ice with the real curling <laughs> rocks. But, right. Um, you know, I still remember that uh, as an experience that I had in my gym classes and something that I could kind of share with my friends that it was like, I knew what I was doing. Right. <laughs> right. You know what? Uh I'll admit, uh, I had to find out what jam pail curling was. Could you explain to the listeners who might not be aware of that? What is jam pail curling? Yeah, I don't, uh, I mean, at the time. And uh, what's a jam pail? Because I always thought to myself, they have jam and pails. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess at the time or years ago, and I might maybe I'm dating myself, but they used to have um, jam that came in cans. And so they would use these cans and fill them with cement and then like put a handle in the cement. Um, like, I don't know what, like a metal handle of sorts, like okay. act as the handle and they would paint the handle and the, the top of the cement or even the whole can to determine the different colors of rocks. And then, you know, um, my gym teacher, for example, would flood the, you know, a big section of the field in the back of our school and he would make sheets and paint the rings and everything. And I mean, you know, it was a good way to introduce curling to two kids, but um, you know, the, the ice was (laughs) interesting (laughs) as you could imagine. And, you know, like, but it it was fun. It was just something uh, to introduce kids to, to the game. And so I I don't know that this, it was called jam pail. It was called jam can uh you know i've heard a couple of of other similar type things and i i think it's evolved a little bit over the years i i think sometimes they actually a lot of places like schools will now use you know like more like a little rock or something so i don't know if you see the jam can or the jam pail curling quite as much anymore but it was kind of a neat thing and a neat way to introduce it to kids at that time what age did you start curling in like a club, not not the jam pail version, but just in the club. Well, I guess officially I started at about the age of ten. Um, I was a spare, like I was on the spare list for I don't I don't know a couple of years prior to that. Um, and I think actually this is a story my mom just told me a couple of years ago was that um, there was a spot that opened up on a team when I was ten in this junior league that she coordinated. Uh, because somebody broke their leg or whatever. So they were pretty much out for the season. And this spot opened up. And my mom was hesitant 
to let me take the position regularly for the year because at that time 10 was still you know like that was kind 10 11 12 was sort of the age that you would start to curl like I mean obviously it's a lot younger now uh, but at the time, my mom was a little bit hesitant, but I guess I was gung-ho and I was ready to do it. And my, a friend of my mom's that my mom is still friends with said, you know, oh, let her do it. She wants to do it. And so my mom <laughs> let me go ahead and, and fill this position. And I play, so I played regularly uh, once I started playing regularly once a week. But I mean, I was on the ice, obviously, prior to that. Oh, which club was this? It was called Rossmere Golf and Country Club. Um, it's not very active in curling anymore, if at all. I'm, I'm not even sure that they even have the curling rink portion to it anymore, but uh, uh, they do still have a very active golf club there. Well, if you were sparing in it, it sounds like it was a pretty busy league, like for a junior league. Uh, can you, do you remember how many teams there were or how many kids were involved? Oh yeah. I think that there was two full draws like, uh, oh, wow. and there were six sheets. Uh, so I think like sometimes there was like an 8am draw and like, and then like a 10, 15 draw. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, I remember it being pretty full. And then here in Winnipeg, they used to have what was called the uh, junior Christmas bond spiel. And, uh, it was a very large junior bond spiel that took place between Christmas and New Year's every year. And it used uh, a number of the clubs around um, the city of Winnipeg. Uh, and so that I remember that being something that was like, there was like lots of teams, lots of activity, lots of juniors that would come in from, you know, outside the city to play in this event. And it was like a really big fun bond spiel that you had to go to different curling clubs for, which was kind of cool. So, uh, yeah, I remember being fairly, you know, active in like the community being fairly active in, in curling at that time. Uh, Just out of curiosity, who taught you to curl? Well, I guess my mom was my initial teacher. Uh, I don't remember her giving me any particular specifics though. When I think back to it, Uh, (laughs) You know, I remember a little bit being on the ice with her, but I don't remember anything specific that she taught me at that particular age. Um, but it was definitely my mom. And I mean, there, I know, you know, there was a couple of other coordinators as part of the league that I'm sure helped uh, teach as well. Um, yeah, so definitely my mom was the, the first one to, to teach me. I guess my gym teacher from elementary, uh, you know, he must have given me some tips too. <laughs> right. What was it about curling that attracted it attracted you to it in those early days? Like what was it about the sport that you were attracted to? Well, you're asking me to dig deep. I, uh, <laughs> that, was a, <laughs> that was a long time ago, but I mean, like I said, it's it just kind of, it was, it ran in my family to be around the curling rink all the time. So, uh, you know, and I always say like, I, I feel like I was bound to either take up hockey or, take up curling because those were the like two of the places that I spent so much time as a kid because of my parents' involvement in those sports. Um, and so I, I don't know what attracted me to it necessarily um, initially at that age. Like I know that I was enthusiastic about it. Um, but I think why I chose it honestly was 
I think I had, like, I was naturally flexible at that time. And, you know, I had, I, I, my mom probably was an influence in helping me develop a, a very nice curling delivery at that time. And uh, I remember uh, starting with a corn broom and feeling like I was pretty decent at it for a 10 year old, but maybe I <laughs> really know. Um, and so I just remember like having a bit of a natural ability for it and getting some recognition for that. And so it kind of encouraged me to, to keep doing it. And I, I think I just enjoyed being out on the ice and I enjoyed being with my friends. Hmm. Like I enjoyed being with the other people who were doing what I liked to do. Did you have an opportunity to curl with your friends, even in a competitive setting? I did. Um, when I was about 12, my mom um, put a team together, got like a group of my friends together and like her knowing, you know, the other moms. And, you know, we went and played in the Christmas bond spiel and played in a couple of other events. And I skipped at the time. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and I just, yeah, I just, I just remember like the Christmas bond spiel and going around to different curling clubs in the city and having our moms drive us around and, <laughs> you know, and then hanging out with each other in between games and things like that. And it, it just, I, I think I just remember in, enjoying it and having fun with that. What made you decide to focus on curling and get more serious about it? I mean, at that time when I, you know, that 12 to 16 or 12 to 15 uh, time, I was still doing other sports. Like I was still doing figure skating. I was like earning my figure skating badges, um, you know, and I mean, playing soccer, but obviously that's, you know, it was a summer sport. Um, And so, you know, I guess I was spending a little bit more time uh, curling and then I remember um, my mom had a connection to these other two girls at another club, not far from here, from where I live. And I ended up like they were a little bit more serious as I was. Um, And the friends that I was curling with while they were my friends from school, they weren't as serious about curling as I was. So I remember switching up my team and, playing with these other girls that were a little bit more competitive. So then we started going into like zone playdowns with like no, no success, never made. Provincials. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was like, we were, we were kind of trying, but I don't know if we were trying in the right way now that I look back at it. So mm-hmm. then I, when I was curling with that team, that's when, uh, you know, I was playing against Jennifer Jones and, um, you know, other, I'm trying to think if there was somebody else that I was playing with or playing against at that time that, you know, kind of hung around, but, um, yeah, I was actually playing against Jen at that time, uh, in zone playdowns or whatever. And then, um, yeah, I was almost 16, I guess, when she pulled me aside at, uh, the Highlander curling club, which no longer exists here in Winnipeg. And asked me if I'd be interested in curling with her. Um, her team, I think, was maybe aging out. 
Um, and they had actually won the provincials that she'd been to provincials a few times. So I knew who Jennifer Jones was, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So when she pulled me aside, I was like, oh my gosh, like I was almost a bit starstruck that she, you know, had even, you know, recognized me or recognized some ability in me. So I guess there was a bit of a transition period in terms of like, I, it was like, I was trying to make it more competitive and trying to be more competitive with it. But it certainly changed when I joined forces with Jen. Um, you know, we there was a lot more work, a lot more time. We had a you know a coach that you know we had scheduled practices, like just a lot more uh, right. detail in terms of what we were doing. It seems like there was more structure. Like it wasn't just loosey goosey anymore. Well, yeah, for sure. There was definitely became more structure, and I mean, you know, we keep in mind this was back in like the early nineties. Right. So right. like the, the development that the kids get today is completely different than the development that I had at that age. Right. So, um, can I, can I like, ask you what it was like back then? Like, I, I'm, I'm always curious about history. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, from what I remember, I've, I've almost sort of spoken about for the most part, like, I mean, you know, you have your volunteer people that, you know, are knowledgeable about curling that are teaching people like my mom that, you know, taught, taught me how to, how to curl and taught me the game. And I don't remember truthfully getting any particular, um, like instruction from any like curl Manitoba type organizations or anything like that at the time. Um, you know, cause I, I don't know if it just wasn't a thing or, or what. So I don't really remember getting a lot of like specific, uh, you know, if you want to be competitive, here's some guidelines. Here's what, like, I mean, it's so different now, right? Like, and I went through all of that. I had to learn all of that as, as we went along and so much evolved and so much developed and curling became an Olympic sport and everything changed. And, you know, so, it, you know, I've seen a whole evolution, but I don't remember having a whole lot of like specific instruction uh, when it came to the game itself. And I certainly did not have any guidance on any sort of physical uh, fitness or training specific to curling or anything nutrition wise or any sort of mental performance. Like that just, that just wasn't a thing in curling at that time. You know, uh, I don't even know if it was as much of a thing in the adult game at that time, because it wasn't an Olympic sport at that time. So when it became one, I think that's when all, a lot of that stuff started to really change and develop. Who were some of the people you looked up to when you were a young curler? Were there other, were there coaches or uh, maybe older junior curlers that you looked up to other than Jennifer, of course, you've already told yeah. that story. <laughs> she was certainly one at the time, obviously. One of the first ones that I remember sort of looking up to was just like the, the very first year that I curled and her name was Marnie Tresser. And for anybody listening, they might remember the Tresser name because uh, her brother, Ken Tresser played third for Jeff Stoughton for a number of years and they won the Briar. I, I think they maybe even won the worlds as well. Um, and so Marnie was quite a good curler when she was in uh, juniors and I, I played a little bit with her like in that rock, in that league at the, the, the curling rink. So I think I remember looking up to her a bit when Jen and I started curling together in, in juniors, like that started to be the time of like 
Sandra Schmerler and her team. Mm. And then, and Connie Laliberti and the rivalry between those two teams in the, the early, mid and even late nineties, right? Like that's when we were sort of like, we won the Canadian juniors in 94. Um, and like Sandra and her team had won the Scotties and the worlds in 93 and 94. Connie won the Scotties in 95. And so, you know, like those were the two teams I really remember. And I mean, Connie being from our city and province, you know, like that was pretty cool. And we would see them, you know, maybe at a bond spiel in Winnipeg, there used to be a really um, well-known uh, competitive women's bond spiel here in Winnipeg. And so we had the opportunity to play against them. And, and once we were junior Canadian junior champs, we had the opportunity to travel a little bit too. So we actually played against Sandra and her team a couple of times. I remember we beat them. Wow. The, yeah. We beat them once in the Thunder Bay Grand Prix bond spiel. And I remember being so excited that I, I phoned home, but I had to like, this was the time of like no internet and whatever. Right. So I had right. to go into the office at the curling club and phone <laughs> home, uh, collect and <laughs> my parents accepted the charges uh, so that I could tell them that we just beat Sandra Schmiller's team in the semifinal. Right. Um, and then same with, we, I remember we beat Connie Laliberty once too. And I mean, we like, that was just, that was such a huge deal to us at the time. Right. Like we were, you know, as much as we were Canadian junior champs, like moving into the women's ranks is, is a totally different level. So uh, I, I remember really looking up to those two teams particularly, and they both really kind of mentored us and gave us guidance. And, you know, in 1995, uh, we went to the Bern Bonspiel in Switzerland and Sandra and her team were there as well. And we got to spend some time with them there. And they, we had never, none of us had ever been to Europe before and they'd been there a few times. So they, took us under their wing and they, you know, kind of were like our moms a little bit and saying like, you know, you know, make sure you keep your money close to you and, you know, here's what you <laughs> go and see. And, you know, like all these things, they were just really so, so kind to us. And, uh, you know, they pulled a couple of prank jokes on us because that was sort of their uh, MO, you know. <laughs> but, oh, but okay. I, I got to stop you there. Like you got to tell me at least one of them. I, I mean, you, sure, you can't yeah, just bring it I, up. Yeah, I have I have one very clear memory of, of uh, when we arrived in Bern, Switzerland, for this uh, bond spiel. The four of us were sitting in one of our hotel rooms, and the phone rang. Um, so Jennifer answered it, and this person on the other end was speaking German. So Jen was trying to say, like, I I don't understand. I speak English. I speak English, like. You know, and, and this was going on for a couple of minutes. And then all of a sudden, like through the phone, we could hear this burst of laughter in the background. <laughs> and then Sandra actually came on and invited us to go for dinner with them. So it was actually Jan Betker that had gotten on the phone and pretended to talk German. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Jen. And went on with it for a couple of minutes. And then when they couldn't hold their laughter in any longer, of course, it all came out. And then Sandra had gotten on the phone and she's like, oh, we just wanted to invite you girls for dinner. Uh, you know, we're going out with these friends of ours that, that we know from, from town here and, and we'd like to invite you. And so it was, it was just really, it was really funny because Jen was like, I can't speak German. And, you know, like, we had to laugh over it. And, uh, and they were, yeah, they were just so much fun. And so we went out for dinner with them and they kind of like looked after us and, and things like they helped us out a lot and we got to know them. We got to know them well. And uh, yeah, right. it, was, it was really great. I can't help but thinking, I mean, obviously these are 
teams and people that you admire and and you consider role models or at least you know in the, in your sport but I, I i i can just picture i don't know myself like i'd be a little starstruck at least the first time especially if you had to play against them and was there was there an element of that when you first sort of competed against them oh yeah i'm sure i'm i'm almost positive i I'm positive there had to have been and I mean, the first time we must have played against them must have been that Bonspiel in the fall of 94 in, in Thunder Bay. Um, and so, you know, we had probably seen them around or whatever. And I don't, I don't clearly remember, you know, if I was, I was probably nervous and excited, probably starstruck to go out and play against them for sure. I, I can guarantee you that's how I felt. Um, and then just like trying to contain the excitement that we actually were able to defeat them in the semifinal of a box field. Like it was just, you know, it, it was cool. It was a really cool experience and, you know, yeah. And then to watch them go on and win the Olympic gold a few years. Right. Later, yeah. Like, I mean, that, that was sort of, I think a key moment for me where I was, where I thought, Oh wow, maybe this, this is possible. Like these were just, for women from Saskatchewan who, you know, were juggling families and work and whatever else. And they've gone on to win the Olympics, uh, you know, so it was kind of a, you know, a neat thing to experience that with them and then watch them win and sort of think, okay, maybe I could do this. Let me move uh, to a slightly different topic, but something that's related to what we've been talking about. And, you know, You've had the opportunity to work with young people, coach them and instruct them at, at different camps. So can you tell us a bit about that experience and, and what's it like to be on the teaching end of that? Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely a little bit different. Um, I, I've teach, taught at a, at a few different camps, including um, probably most often at Reed Carruthers uh, Camp, uh, Camp Carruthers in Winnipeg. Um, and, and I definitely find it, um, you know, a little bit different to, uh, coach the kids at a camp that, uh, you know, sometimes they're a little younger. Sometimes it's like, you know, you're unsure if they even want to be there and, or they're just so timid that you don't know if it's that they don't want to be there or if they just are really shy. And so I just find some of those things really hard to kind of navigate. Um, but I, I, what I really enjoy is seeing when somebody, when you can tell that someone really likes a change that they've made or that someone like really buys into something that you've suggested to them. Right. So as an example, I remember at the last uh, Camp Carruthers, there was um, uh, one of the boys in my group. He just had this like crazy power coming out of the hack all the time. And he had he could hit all day long, but he couldn't draw like he couldn't figure out how to draw like he, he just could not slow down enough. And so I said to him imagine throwing the rock not even halfway down the sheet like push out a hundred times slower than you think you need to and as soon as he did that and made that adjustment well it was like night and day like he 
he just seemed so excited at the prospect that he might actually be able to put a rock in the rings. (laughs) (laughs) And, and he just was like, Oh my gosh, like almost like he didn't realize how much he needed to slow his kick down, that it needed to be that much exaggerated. So that was like a highlight actually for me at, at that particular camp, because I could tell how excited he was that what I said to him worked for him. Right. And that that adjust that making that adjustment has made a huge improvement for him. So I really appreciate those moments with the kids that are really, you know, super interested in understanding how to get better. You know, you always want to have these moments where a light bulb goes off in the kid's head, right? Or some that's something you say gets them to that moment. Like, what's the most challenging part about coaching young people in this sport, in your opinion? Yeah, I think the most the most challenging is I do find it challenging with kids who are very shy and very quiet um, because you just don't know what's actually registering with them. And I totally respect that everybody's different. Um, and so I, I try to do my best to make a relationship with, with them, especially in those circumstances. I also find it challenging when, you know, you give a suggestion, a suggestion to someone by the time they go back and take their turn again in the hack, they don't even think, they don't think about any, like they don't do anything different. And I find it challenging because I, 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 I'm kind of like, well, why are you here? If you're not here to learn and to try to implement some of these things, then like, are you only here because your parents really wanted you to be or like what, you know what I mean? So I find that challenging and hard to balance because it's like, I really want to help these kids um, improve things. Um, But it's hard when they're just maybe not taking it or they're not, you know, implementing it consistently every time they go and slide out of the hack. Right. And I try to, I try to tell, I try to tell kids and talk about habits, right. And how you have to, it, yeah, it might feel completely bizarre. Like to the kid who was, you know, had to kick so much less than he ever did before. Yeah. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel bizarre. But once you build that habit, it starts to become normal and to feel normal. And you won't even remember what it was like otherwise. And so right. I try to explain that to kids. But then when they're not consistently trying to remember to put that ha- like that into their routine, I, I don't know what like I don't know what to do. I find it a little bit frustrating, truthfully. But I, at the same time, I, it's not like I'm getting mad at them or anything. Like right, that. right. It's, it is what it is, right? But I try to encourage them to remember. But then I feel like I'm like a broken record sometimes. So I find Mm. those little nuances really uh, challenging at times. Yeah, the whole idea of motivation in in the coaching realm is, (laughs) you know, is an art and a science. But it made made me think of one thing. This young man who... uh, who took your advice? Was he reluctant at first to take it? Like, wh- or did he just take your advice and run with it? You know, I think that that's where, like, I probably learned something about myself in that instance, because I don't know if I gave him that perspective on it 
soon enough. Mm. Um, I don't know if I worded it to him in the, in the proper way that it would register with him. I think it took a couple, like I kept trying to tell him like, slow down, slow down, like kick less, kick less. <laughs> right. It wasn't until I went to the, ex- like that I realized, okay, I'm like, okay, this guy needs to go to the extreme. Like he mm. needs to dare to kick out with like nothing. Right. And so it wasn't until I worded it in that way to him, he tried it right away and he noticed the difference right away. Um, and, and you could tell that he was excited that it had made that impact. And I loved that. Um, you know, so I learned, I learned that, you know, sometimes you got to get them to go to the complete opposite extreme in order to figure out what the opposite is of what they're doing so that they can find where that middle ground balance is. Let me, uh, let me go on a bit of a tangent here. Do you have kids and do they curl? I have a daughter. She's nine and a half and she's planning to curl for the first time in an organized league this coming winter. Wow. (laughs) Why is she starting now? I I, I hate to say that, but you know, you're this world championship curler, you know, from some of the stories you hear, you know, they started when they were three or they're riding a rock when they come out of the womb. (laughs) Why why are they, why why is your daughter starting now? Uh, You know, I think that's a great, question um and i mean you might have to ask me this again in five years to see if i made the right decision but um, (laughs) when she was like six and seven she expressed some interest in doing curling and i not that i fully discouraged her but i just said you know honey mommy can take you out on the ice mommy can teach you like you know initially we can do things together i really wanted her to be exposed to a number of different sports and activity and physical type activities. So, you know, we, we've always been very cautious not to overdo the amount of extracurricular activities that, that she has. So at six and seven, I don't even know, you know, we might've had one activity per week, maybe two, um, you know, because it's just, it's hard. Like if you're rushing around and I, and I'm a bit of a, like, uh, I'm, I'm very, like sleep is super important. <laughs> like it's, it's super, I've always been like, I was like that as an athlete. I'm still like that. And I was like, that was my kid from the day she was born. So um, I'm a big believer in, in sleep and how it makes you, helps you function. So I don't want to be running her around every night of the week and getting her to bed at six or seven years old, getting her to bed at nine o'clock at night. Right? right. So we were very mindful of that, but I really wanted her to be exposed to a number of different sports. And I knew that curling would always be there. I felt like she would always sort of have that, that interest. Uh, and I, I never wanted to push it on her, of course. And as much as she expressed interest, I was like, well, I can take you out when, when mom goes to practice, you can come with me. And when I'm done practice, you can come out on the ice. We'll do some things. I'll teach you some things. And that's exactly what we did. Um, and so now I feel like she's kind of in a place where, you know, like now she really, I can tell that her, her, you know, her desire to do it is because she wants to do it. Not necessarily because she thinks, well, my mom does it. So I have to do it, you know, and, right. and now she's been exposed to some other things like Taekwondo and uh, um, um, gymnastics. And yeah, so I, I think that that's good because I think that my knowledge anyways, is that the research shows that it's good for kids to be exposed to a number of different sports. 
Yeah. And I mean, obviously you were exposed to a lot of different sports. So uh, yeah. I don't know if that was a factor. I mean, it seemed to, to benefit you. And of course, she's had exposure to curling. I mean, I'm sure you took her to the club and like she's familiar with the environment. Oh, yeah. And I mean, yeah, for sure. She's been to the club to, to watch me. She's been to the club during practice, during games. Uh, she was at the Worlds in North Bay in 2018 when we won. Uh, she's been to the Scotties. <laughs> <number three. laughs> um, yeah, so she's like, obviously, she's been exposed and been around the game. And I mean, anytime there's curling on TV, you know, uh, we have it on in our living room. And, and, I, and I have found like, you know, I remember thinking in 2018 when we won the Worlds and I, and I thought, oh, she's just kind of getting into this. Like, I, feel, I felt like she was just really starting to maybe pay a little bit more attention to me when I was on the ice instead of just watching her iPad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that, you know, she was just so excited that we won the Worlds and she was like crying happy tears. And I thought, oh, she's just getting into this, you know. And then I feel like this past winter when the curling came on TV from the, from the bubble in Calgary, she was showing more interest in, you know, understanding the game or asking some questions about different shots and stuff like that. And not for the entire two hours, but enough that, that I can tell she has that interest. And I, I feel like it's a good time for her to start. Now, Jill, do you have any advice for someone? Like I'll throw myself into the, uh, the pot here because I have a five-year-old son Mm -hmm. Uh, and maybe it's, maybe it's early to ask you this, but do you have any advice for parents, prospective parents who want to introduce their children into the sport of curling? Um, I don't know when to do it, how to do it. Do you have any advice right now for us? Yeah. I mean, I guess I have a couple of thoughts and this is like from my own experience you know, one of the other reasons that I thought maybe Cameron could wait a few years too was that from a physical standpoint, she she wasn't really developing the strength to, you know, maybe properly push out of the hack and, um, you know, and, and maybe a little bit of flexibility and like, and certain things like that. And so I also didn't want her to be discouraged if she got into it maybe a touch too soon. Um so that was one one thought that I, I had behind it. Um, and then I guess I think it's just like a matter of and each individual. I mean, if your kid is six years old and begging you every day to put them in curling, then put them in curling. Like, <laughs> you know? But if they're a little unsure, you put them in and they're not like the motor, you know, so I think you kind of have to like, I think you kind of have to gauge it and and, you know, like, and maybe they come back to it. Like, I, I, I mean, gymnastics, for an example, you know, my daughter went into gymnastics and, and then she was like, I don't want to do gymnastics anymore. Okay, well, a year later, I want to go back to gymnastics. Okay, great. <laughs> you know, or same with, uh, you know, dance, dancing. It was like, oh, did a couple of years of dance. Oh, I don't want to do dance anymore. And then a couple of years later, I want to do dance again. Okay, great. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I want you to do what you want to do. So I, I think that's the biggest thing is to listen to our kids and, you know, provide them with suggestions or ideas about, you know, what sort of activities or opportunities there might be. But, um, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, we, we really wanted our daughter to continue in Taekwondo. We thought it was good for her, but it was just, she just did not have the motivation to do it. And so I'm, I wasn't going to push her to do it. Um, so I think you kind of have to read your kid. you know, your kid best. 
Well, I, I think this is a lead into my final question. And, and in fact, you might have already answered it. So thanks, Jill. Um, <laughs> sorry, this is just how I wrote it out. But, you know, you answer it how you feel like you, you can based on your own experience and maybe even your daughter and all the kids that you've worked with. So, so here, it, here it goes. And I, I'm planning to ask the same question of everyone I interview for the series. How do we get kids to fall in love with the sport of curling and, and get them to stay with it for the long term? Oh, I feel like that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, like my, my honest first thought is fun. Mm. Like, and, and I know I was on a uh, coaching conference, um, you know, months back uh, and, you know, and I'm, I'm taking my coaching levels right now and, you know, trying to understand, you know, the sport sort of from that aspect, which, which is surprisingly, you know, you start to learn a totally different perspective from, you know, where, you know, we, you know, obviously we have all the curling knowledge, but the actual coaching and teaching knowledge is, is different. So, um, but, you know, so I, I know that, you know, there's, there's a certain period of time where, you know, that you focus for young kids that you focus on them just having fun so that they want to come back. And then it starts to evolve and stuff. But I think that there always has to be that fun aspect. Um, and what those things are, I don't know. I can, t- I can look back on my memories and know that it was being with people that liked the same thing I did and being able to curl with my friends. And at the time, those were my school friends for me, right? Um, and so I just remember having fun and hanging out with my friends. And even, even once I started curling with Jennifer, you know, and then we'd play in some, I'd play in some mixed bond spiels. Cause then I was hanging out with, you know, other, uh, you know, like some of the junior boys teams and stuff like Ryan Fry, for example, like him and I grew up in the junior ranks together and in Manitoba. And, and so I just remember always hanging out with my curling friends and having fun. Like that was a really big part of it to me. So I don't know how, um, how that looks, um, you know, in terms of trying to encourage that, uh, in, you know, in junior leagues and stuff. But I think the other aspect would be, you know, just, I guess, encouragement and especially when, you know, they're doing something really well or doing something, um, you know, or making, making adjustments well, I think those things are important to get recognized because when I, again, when I look back to being a kid, I was recognized for having a nice curling delivery at that age. Um, and that probably, that little bit of encouragement probably kept me going in the sport. So, you know, any sort of encouragement that, that kids can have for something that they're doing really well, I think probably would have an impact as well. So that's just based on my personal experience. I don't have all the answers for, <laughs> you know, how to keep these kids involved and, you know, and, and I think that, and I've said before, and this, you know, is a higher up um, problem or, or challenge, but we lose a lot even after juniors, you know, somebody might go and win a Canadian junior championship and then they go off to school and they never come back to competitive play. Uh, so there's a gap in there too. So yeah, there's lots of, lots of things to find answers for. (laughs) You can say that again, Jill. (laughs) Uh, 
but no, I think that's a great answer. And, and there's not one answer to this. Uh, I, I think that I deliberately wanted to do this series just because I wanted to get the opinions of a lot of different people. And, uh, you know, all these ideas I, I think are essential to helping coaches and, and youth program volunteers trying to retain uh, the, the kids in the sport. Yeah. And I mean, not everybody, not every, every child or, or kid has to be, you know, trained to go into the competitive ranks either. Right. There's right. Also the aspect of they enjoy coming out and curling once a week. And how do we keep them doing that, you know, throughout their life? Um, because curling is a lifelong sport and I don't have the answer to that either, but I think that's an important aspect to, to look at as well. Yeah. And in fact, you know, most of the people who are curling, you know, are, are in, you know, rec league, social leagues, they're not gunning for the Olympics. So, uh, we need those, we need, we definitely need people to, you know, play in our clubs. Jill, thanks so much for talking to me. I really appreciate this. And uh, I wanted to give you an opportunity now to uh, talk about what you're doing currently. I mean, you're, you've been retired from competitive curling. What are, what are you up to now? Well, um, last year I decided to go back to university. So I uh, just finished my first year of kinesiology. Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Planning, at least at this point, uh, I mean, the, you know, the pandemic kind of, uh, it was a good time for me to start. And so uh, once I start, I, I'm most likely to finish. So I wanted <laughs> to get my, my kinesiology degree and then use that to get into a master's program for mental performance. Um, doing the, the mental side and sport, si- sport psychology side of, of sport was always um something very important to me and something that really, really interested me and it still does. So, um, yeah, I just take the opportunity to go back and do that. And then I'm also preparing to actually go back to the Olympics next year because I was, um, selected as an athlete mentor as part of the mission staff for the Canadian Olympic team for the Beijing winter games in 2022. So I'll be in Beijing for a month helping, our athletes in a variety of different ways um, to hopefully perform their best. If people want to uh, uh, have questions or they just want to follow you, uh, what you're doing, is there a way they can contact you or uh, follow you? Uh, yeah. I'm, um, my username on all uh, social media channels is uh, Jill Officer. So easy peasy. And you can send me DMs or tweet at me or whatever, if you have questions or anything like that. That's fantastic. And, and we'll make sure to uh, include that in our show notes. Uh, Jill, thanks for joining me tonight. I appreciate it. No problem, Glenn. It was a, a great conversation, a great chat. Thanks for having me. So that was my interview with Jill. If you're a supporter of this podcast, I encourage you to follow our Twitter account, which is the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. One more time, the at symbol followed by Kids Curling. I'll also have that Twitter handle listed in today's show notes. This has been the Coaching Kids Curling Podcast. To reach me, Coach Glenn, please email coachingkidscurling at gmail.com. To follow the podcast for free, visit our website, coachingkidscurling.com. You can also find show notes and links to the resources mentioned in this episode 
and in previous episodes. The intro and outro music is Golden Sunrise by Josh Woodward. Thanks for listening. Good luck and good curling.